Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. Have you ever been having a, a conversation with somebody and you start to like tell a story and then you get sidetracked or distracted and you kind of go down a, a different path and then you go, oh wait, what was it I was talking about? Like, um, I, I remember this time I was in middle school and, and then all of a sudden you get dist- distracted and a minute later you go, oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember that time I was in middle school, that's what I was saying. Paul kind of does that in the passage today. Look, look at it with me. Chapter 3, verse 1, he goes, for this reason, I, and then he goes, oh, wait, the mystery of the gospel. Let me just make sure you are really clear on the mystery of the gospel. And then in verse 14, he goes, okay, what I was going to say, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He, He wants to get to this prayer, and this prayer from verse 14 to verse 21 is at the center of the book of Ephesians, and I think it's at the center of Paul's heart. This is what he I think, is writing this letter for, to get to this prayer for the church. For the church in Ephesus, yes, specifically, but at the end of the prayer, he says, for all generations in the church. So for us, too, he wants to get to this prayer, and he's about to pray it because he's so excited to pray it, but then he goes, oh, wait, I just need to make sure you understand why I'm praying this prayer. I need you to understand what I'm praying for, because I'm going to pray that you live and you know the mystery of the gospel. The love of God that is so great that it not only reunites us to the Father, but it reunites us to one another. And that's the mystery of the gospel. And before I ask that the Lord would do that in you, I've got to make sure just one more time that you know exactly what I'm praying for. It's not a mystery as in something that's always mysterious and remains mysterious that we can never know. It's it's a mystery that it's like a great mystery novel we might read or some detective fiction or a movie that has that surprise twist at the ending. And all the way leading up to it, you're collecting the clues, you're getting the information, but you can't quite tell what's going on. And then at the end, there's the big reveal, right? And if, if the uh, writer has done their job, when it gets to that reveal, it's like it pays off. It's this great moment of like, oh, that's what that meant and that meant. And I thought that meant that, but it actually meant that. And now you know who did it and why they did it and how they did it. And it all makes sense. But up until that moment, you couldn't have guessed. You didn't know what was happening. It's that type of mystery. And Paul goes, here's what the mystery is. Look in verse 6. He says, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Jesus. And that sentence is packed with Old Testament language. It's packed with meaning. He says, heirs of the promise. And the promise is the promise given to Abraham, the father of the people of Israel, when he says, I will make of you a great nation, and through your nation, all nations will be blessed. And now Paul says, that promise now is happening. He says, um, 
it's been made known, that which was not, he even uses the word revealed. Verse five, he says, it's the big reveal of the Holy Spirit. It's being revealed. And the prophets in the Old Testament would talk about this, a passage that means so much to us in City of Light, Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come. Later on in that passage, it says, and nations will stream to your light. When the prophet Simeon holds up the baby Jesus in the temple, he says, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people Israel. The Jewish people were looking for God to bless the nations through them. They were waiting for it. They were part of it. But they didn't quite know how it was going to happen or who was going to do it. And look what Paul says. He says, together you've become heirs of the promise, members of one body, shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Christ means Messiah. It's happened in Messiah. The Messiah comes not only to be the light of Israel, but to be the light of all the nations. And in this great revelation, God is showing to Paul, a Jew, how this all works together. And Paul's like, I need you to understand that this is part of the gospel. It's not only that the cross reconciles us to God, but it's that it reconciles us to one another. Across barriers of God's chosen people and the Gentiles who are outside of the promise. No, now through the Jews, through Jesus, through Messiah, the promise is for everybody. Praise the Lord. And Paul writes to the Ephesians as a church that's doing this. We read in Acts that when Paul was in Ephesus, all the Jews and Gentiles in the whole province heard this gospel. And here in Ephesians, the church is living as one family, both Jew and Gentile together. You know, it didn't have to be that way. The Gentiles could have said, hey, we're going to found first Gentile church of Ephesus. And the Jews could have said, we're going to found uh, Community Christian Church of the Jews of Ephesus. And they could have just each had their own church and done their own thing separately. They could have done that. But that wasn't the gospel. The gospel didn't let them do that. The gospel is that being reunited to God means we're reunited to one another. Praise the Lord. And why is it? Why is this happening? Verse 8 tells us that it's God's plan. His intent, verse 10, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known. Manifold means like multifaceted, like looking through a prism and seeing all of these many colored rays of light. That the the multifaceted, many-colored, manifold wisdom of God would be displayed in a multifaceted, many-colored, manifold church. Praise the Lord that everyone would see in the church the fullness of the gospel, reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. And then Paul says, okay, now that we're clear on that, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. The Father of every family on earth. It doesn't quite translate. Paul's doing something really beautiful in Greek there. It's the potter from whom every patria, same word, but used in a different way. And patria has this um, not only like family group, but tribal or nation idea to it. It's that God is the father of every people group. The God is the father who's making a family on earth of every people group. And to have him as father is to be united together with one another. So Paul says, I kneel before that father who's 
making a household of every people. And I pray that the Spirit would be at work in you. The power through His Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts. We talked two weeks about ago about what union with God means. And here, right at the beginning of the prayer, we see the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. That our union with God is, is union with perfect, loving, communion, trinity. And that, that is what he invites us into. And he prays this prayer so that we would grasp the mystery of the gospel. How big God's love is, big enough to unite us to him, big enough to unite all people together. The gospel's that big. Now this prayer has meant so much to me for years. If you'd have asked me a couple years ago, what's your favorite book of the Bible? I'd have been like, I don't know, I don't really have favorites, but um, I don't have favorites in anything. It's really hard for me to pick a favorite, but I love Ephesians, and I love this prayer, and the Lord's used it many times in my life to encourage me and to strengthen me and to just meditate on God's love, on his love for me and his reconciling me to him and, and my union with him. I gotta be honest, it wasn't until I was reading this over this past summer on sabbatical that I got the other half of this. The first half is incredible, it's amazing. We can have union with God, but there's a second half of this, and it's the primary reason that Paul is writing this, is that we would get that second half, that, that we are unified with one another, that that's what being rooted with Christ means, being rooted with one another in Christ. There's a second half to this, and maybe you're like me, and you grew up in the church reading this passage, and you've gotten the glory of the first half, but you've never gotten the glory of the second half. Maybe you're just exploring what it means to follow Christianity. It's not an individual thing. God is absolutely concerned with each individual person, but it's so that he can give you a family, and being united to him is being united to one another. It's all the mystery of the gospel. Paul wants us to grasp it. And he knows in order to grasp it, we're going to need the strengthening of Christ. We're going to need to be rooted, roots that go down deep. We're going to need to be established on his foundation, a strong cornerstone, in order to grasp it. And he says we grasp it not just as individuals, but verse 18, look what it says together with all of the saints, with all of Lord's holy people, with Jews and Gentiles, with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. To grasp the breadth of God's love, we have to grasp the breadth of his family. We can understand so much of God's love for us and for for his forgiveness for us and his strengthening for us. But if we really want to grasp the entire depth of his love, we need each other and we need to go, what's he done in your family and in your life and in your people group and in your language and in your country? Then we'll know the breadth of the love of God, that it's wide enough to embrace Jew and Gentile, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. That is the love of God. It's wide enough invite us all in. It's high enough to lift us all to him. It goes low enough that there's no person who's not invited in, no 
people that's not invited in, no class that's not invited in. It goes deep enough, and it's long enough to last forever until all of our wounds and all of our individual and cultural sins are forgiven, cleansed, healed, and we're empowered to live in family like him. That's God's love. And Paul goes, it's more than you can know. It's more than you can know. It's so big, but I'm going to pray that you'd know more. I'm going to ask that your imagination would be enlarged. He ends it by saying, now to him who's able to do more than we ask or imagine. You have a hard time imagining that God could forgive you, that he wants to adopt you. Maybe you can get that part, but that he actually wants to spend time with you and delights in you. That he wants to heal you. Is that more than you can imagine this morning? Is it more than you can imagine that, that God wants to take the division in our lives and bring healing? Division between spouses. Division between parents and children. Division in our communities, division in our churches. Can you imagine God healing that? Or is that more than you could ask or imagine? Then Paul's praying for you. And we're all praying for that. Can you imagine the the racism and prejudice in our country? God wants to heal that. And one day in the church, all racism and prejudice will be healed. Can you imagine that? We need to expand our imagination. That's what Paul's praying. Whenever I think about imagination, I think about um, the movie Frozen and uh, the little singing snowman. Um, If you're uh, Olaf, yeah, Olaf, that's him. Um, If you're uh, a parent, um, even if you don't do screens, your kids have probably watched this. and if you, if you do, they've watched it a lot. And um, if you don't, they've watched it a lot. Everyone's watched this a lot. But the, the, the song that Olaf sings is, I think, just one of the most clever things and catchy. Um, and it talks about imagination. So they're in a, anyone who's not seen it, do I need to do a recap? I theoretically could sing it. Roberto, you haven't seen it. Um, Father Jonathan has not seen it. Okay. So uh, the recap, everything's frozen, and um, Olaf is a magical snowman. Okay, I think that's all we need to know. Um, so someone says to him, or he, he says, I've always loved the idea of summer and very hot things. And someone says, I'm guessing you don't have much experience with heat as a snowman. And he goes, no, but sometimes I like to close my eyes and imagine what it'll be like when summer does come. Cue the music. And he sings, bees will buzz, kids will blow, dandelion fuzz, and I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. A drink in my hand, my snow up against the burning sand, probably getting gorgeously tanned in summer. I'll finally see a summer breeze blow away the winter storm and find out what happens to solid water when it gets warm. There's a lot of other really good lines, um, but my favorite's when he goes, winter's a good time to stay in and cuddle, but put me in summer and I'll be a... Happy snowman. <laughs> not, not puddle, yeah. I think you guys were tracking, okay. Um, the sky will be blue. You guys will be there too when I finally do what frozen things do in summer. 
And the two people with him go, we've got to tell him. And the other one's like, no, don't tell him. And then big finale in summer. So he's using his imagination, isn't he? He's imagining, he's putting himself into a future and into circumstances he's never experienced before. But there's a problem, right? His framework is incomplete. He's missing a few details that he needs to base that imagination on, like water has three states. Heat changes the state of water, right? So he's, he's imagining what that will be like, what it would be like to be in this reality. He doesn't know what that reality looks like. He's missing some framework. When we imagine the church, we don't do it with the Bible's framework. We're missing some details. We're missing some realities. Paul wants to enlarge our imagination about who the church is, who she is, who she will be. And he wants us to imagine ourselves in a church that is living out the fullness of the gospel. And to imagine what the church will be one day in generations in the church. But we need the Bible's framework to do that. He's using his imagination not to think about things that are imaginary, that are not true. But to think about the things that are the most true. Which is the kingdom of God. The reconciliation of Jesus. It's our imagination that helps us get out of the fallen, broken frameworks of this world, and into the redeemed reality of the kingdom of God. I remember being sick a few years ago, and it was like one of those, you know, stomach flus where you feel like you're going to die. And um, that's, I'll leave all the details at that. And I just remember being like, I'll be sick forever. (laughs) This will never end. And then I thought, no, No, it will end. And I imagined myself better. And when my kids get sick, I still tell them, you you won't always be sick. When it's cold outside and you feel like you want to die, right? It won't always be cold. And when we think about the division in our church, in our lives, in our cities, because of the gospel, it won't always be divided. It won't always be that way. And the Lord calls us to imagine ourselves in the future and in the global and in the eternal reality of his family, the church. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. is doing. When he says, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. And that dream, that imagination confronts what is wrong and broken in our world that right now they so often can't. But it imagines a new framework based on the gospel where everyone's invited to be brothers and sisters in the family of God. This is the power of a sanctified imagination, of an imagination of who the church is meant to be. Paul wants to teach us that. He wants to give us a framework that's not based on our our own brokenness or our, our own culture, but that names that as broken, as divided, 
that names that division and then says, what does, the, what does it look like when the gospel comes into that division to heal? What does it look like when the gospel comes and reconciles that in me, in my household, in our neighborhoods? What does it look like for the gospel to come in and reconcile between black and white in America? There is an African-American church that's two blocks from here. I don't know anyone who goes there. That's not how it should be. They're brothers and sisters. There's so much working against us in our framework, in our minds, and in our cultures. And the Holy Spirit wants to just pull those things down. That there's no prejudice in the church. It's not okay to be Jewish church here, Gentile church here. It's not okay to be black church here, white church here. He wants us to know one another and live in, together as brothers and sisters. He wants to expand our imagination. He wants to replace narratives of division, as Deacon Eduardo preached, with narratives of unity and reconciliation. That's what the Bible is for. But our lives are more based on the structures and categories of the world than they are on the structures and framework of the Bible. And it means that our imaginations are anemic. It means we can't even picture what the church is supposed to be. Is that making sense? And then we start building a church with a picture of what we think it should be in mind. That's often different than the Bible. And we think about the most common question I get asked by people outside of City of Light usually. So oh, cool, when are you going to have a building? Buildings are fine. The only building that Paul is concerned about is the building of Jews and Gentiles into the temple of the Holy Spirit. What do you imagine when you imagine the church? You imagine a group of people who I can connect with, who are like me, and I can build friendships with. Nothing wrong with that. That's not what Paul's talking about. What he's talking about is people who are brothers and sisters because they have the same father, right? Right? A church with great programs that's very entertaining where things are done with excellence. Is that what we look for in a church? Do we talk about in a church in our country? See that here? What do we see here about who the church is? Brothers and sisters across dividing walls, becoming one with one another and one with the Father. What does that look like? How do we do that? That's what Paul cares about. I love this quote I read this week from a Cuban-American theologian, Justo Gonzalez. Um, if you ever want to read an amazing history of Christianity, he wrote this two-volume set that's incredible, um, as well as many other things. He said, uh, talking about the church worshiping together, that this is the place where we catch a glimpse of the future kingdom of God. And it, it both uh, pulls us toward it and supports us, but it also judges us in our attempts to be too settled. So much about Ephesians is here to help us correctly imagine what the church is to be, who she is, and to keep us from feeling content when she is not. We are not supposed to feel settled to be anything other than people inviting other people to be reunited with God and reunited with each other across dividing walls. 
We should never be settled. Everything else could be going, quote unquote, right in a church. And if we have not that, we should be discontent with how things are in our country, in the church. In in the West, we've done this thing um, where we've taken salvation, we've taken the gospel, and we've made it so much about just me and the Lord, that first part of being reconciled, but we've taken it away from being reconciled into a family. The impact of that is all throughout how we think about church. We're too settled in the prejudice of our culture, both as a church and as a country. We think racism, prejudice, segregation is just normal. We think it's normal that our churches are made up of a single ethnic group, and then there's just a bunch of churches for every ethnic group. We think that's normal. We are settled and content in that. Paul does not want us to be. That doesn't mean that with the complex issues of immigration, there's not places for first-generation churches that are more mono-ethnic. There's a lot sociologically that's going on there. Maybe we wouldn't even need that if, if the church just welcomed everyone in and made a place and actually acted like our brothers and sisters were moving to the country. We will not be a church that's content. We will not be a church content to be broken and divided by ethnicity, politics, worship styles, non-essential theologies, rivalry, pride, interpersonal conflict. There's no room in this church. There should be no room in any church for being content with divisions. The Lord isn't. When we were divided from him, when we were divided from another, he came. How dare we worship together and then walk out into our cultures during the week and participate in and further narratives of division that hurt brothers and sisters who are not like us? How dare we? And yet we do. We're caught in the framework framework of our world, but Paul wants us to open our imaginations to the framework of the gospel that you can't separate union with God from union with one another across dividing walls. Another pastor of the church in Ephesus named the Apostle Paul, he came and pastored that church um, after uh, Paul planted it, which is really unique. So we get his letters that are in some ways addressed to the church in Ephesus, but we also get the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, starts with uh, addresses to seven different churches. And all of those churches are in the province uh, of Asia Minor, where it says the gospel went out to the entire province. That's who these letters are addressed to, and it's all churches that are likely planted from Ephesus. It's a whole diocese. And the Apostle John writes this letter, and he, he addresses a, a statement to the, each of those, but he gives us a beautiful picture of the church, doesn't he? We read it every All Saints Sunday. This is the Apostle John, former pastor of Ephesus, in heaven. And he says, 
After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation that unites us to God and to one another. This is the church. This is her. You've seen her worshiping the Lord all together. Have you ever had an experience of worship like that? Where there's different tribes, cultures, tongues, peoples, nations together worshiping? Have you ever had an experience like that? If you have, then you know that feeling of catching a glimpse of heaven. You know that feeling of going, oh, now I know. Now I know the Lord. I knew part of it, but now I know so much more. I remember uh, worshiping um, with uh, Bonnie and my father-in-law, Matt. He was a pastor in Long Island. He had a Sunday off, and we were there visiting over break. He's like, let's go to this church. It's in Queens. Let's go worship there. And it's New Life uh, Community Fellowship, which is Peter Scazzaro used to um, pastor that church. He wrote the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course. And we parked like five blocks away. There's no parking. And we're walking in. I'm looking around, and I realize, oh, I'm, I'm white. Because everyone else was from all over. And I got in, and someone said, yeah, there's 75 nations that worship here. And they had all their flags all around the room. I said, but we are all under the banner of the cross. And that worship was heaven, literally. That's, I'm not, that's not figurative. It was heaven. So often we think about heaven and our, even our picture of heaven isn't full enough, right? You know heaven's going to be multi-ethnic, right? And if you feel anxious being in those sorts of spaces, don't worry. In heaven, you'll be healed of that. I do, too, and I want to be healed of that. And the church is the kingdom of heaven coming to the kingdom of earth through the cross. That is who we are. And we want nothing less than that. And so we pray that our imaginations would be expanded. That we would know the fullness of the gospel, the mystery, union with God, union with one another. And that as we invite our imagination to be deconstructed and reconstructed along the gospel, that the sins and wounds of prejudice and segregation that we all have been shaped in from our culture, whether we want to or not, that we've all participated in whether we want to or not, can begin to be healed here. When that happens, we'll see more and more the wideness and depth and height of the love of God. And we'll see more and more that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known through us. Can you imagine City of Light looking like she will look one day? Now? Can you imagine different languages and different cultures and different ideas about time and, you know, people actually talking during the sermon and 
me really enjoying that. Flags of all the different nationalities and heritages represented all under the cross of Christ. Having to figure all of that out, wouldn't that be the best problem to try to figure out? How to communicate with a brother or sister when you don't speak the same language with them. I choose that problem over the ones we have to deal with now of division. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.